Hey, good morning, everybody. Jacob with the Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Hope you enjoying this beautiful morning. If you guys are up and at it early on Sunday morning, as I'm recording here at my home, you can see in Gonzales, Louisiana. For those of you who are watching YouTube, you can see uh, see we're outside today. We're doing the stream uh, just to get outside. To be honest with you, enjoy this uh, this beautiful weather we've been having here in South Louisiana. Um, what a great week it's been for those of you who have had the opportunity to get out and do some teal hunting this week, man, I'm really, I have to say I'm jealous because, uh, you caught the front perfectly. If you had some time off during the week, you were able to make some hunts hopefully. And, uh, and hopefully you guys have increased in seeing the number of birds that have come in. Uh, because from what I'm hearing on the reports this week, a lot of you had an opportunity to, uh, to go out and hunt did really well. So, uh, hopefully that was the case for you if you had that chance to go out and make a hunt this week. But guys, like I said, gorgeous weather. Um, you know, today is the, the ending, uh, last day of teal season for 2021 here in Louisiana. Um, and, you know, it doesn't get much better than this. We've been having temperatures this week uh, dropping down to the upper 50s and during the day reaching about 81, 82 degrees. Um, I know that the reports say that there were a lot of uh, new teal, especially on the western part of the state, uh, that moved in with this little cold front. And a lot of you who had the opportunity to hunt did well uh, from the reports that I got, guys. Uh, but, yeah, whenever we get the opportunity to get outside, maybe do a live stream with weather like this, we're going to take the chance and uh, take the opportunity to do that. But uh hope you all are all doing well this week, guys. Like I said, Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're joining us on YouTube, you get to see uh, the beautiful weather and experience some of the beautiful weather outside with us today. And for those of you who aren't, uh, we still would like to welcome you into the show and thank you for tuning in with us this week. Um, guys, I really hope that y'all enjoyed last week's show. Um, that was our season kickoff to, to season four. Um, and we had Mr. Roland Cortez from Thibodeau, Louisiana, or actually Choctaw, Louisiana, for those of you who want to be more specific and are familiar with South Louisiana. Uh, man, that was a lot of fun, I have to admit, with Roland on the show with us. And if you didn't get an opportunity to catch that episode, I highly recommend you go back. You can stream it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Uh, but it was a really you know, informative show. Roland has been in the waterfowl business for quite some time, for many years now, and uh, brings a lot of expertise, man. He brings a lot of experience to waterfowl hunting uh, and a lot of knowledge. So, you know, having him on the show, that's something that I, him and I had talked about for quite some time and, uh, and just was glad to be able to pin each other down to do a show. We had talked about it, and I told him, I said, Roland, man, I really would like to have you kick off season four. Uh, of the podcast and I said if you could join me you know I said I'd really appreciate it and he was all in so thanks goes out to him once again Roland I know you listen to the show on a regular basis I just want to say thank you again buddy for uh for coming on with us and I know that we've been talking this week back and forth him and I and uh we have some uh some future some future plans and ideas to get together on a couple of more podcasts this season that I think you guys are gonna uh really enjoy you know, to be honest with you, we didn't really even tap half of the knowledge that Roland has, um, you know, as far as waterfowl hunting goes, like I mentioned. Uh, so there's a lot more that we want to talk about. And we have a couple of other guests uh, that we're working on lining up right now for this season's podcast that uh, that you guys are going to really enjoy. You're going to get to know some of these guys. And uh, and really, that's at the end of the day, guys, that's what it's all about, man. You know, when you could uh, bring people on that, you know, you get to know as as a listener and that we get to, you know, you know, share their knowledge and, you know, run ideas by each other. Man, we can only all benefit from that. And that's what we look to do and accomplish on our podcast. So um, looking forward to bringing you guys some guests. Like I said, it's going to be real fun this season. We're going to do quite a bit of mixing it up. Uh, some stuff is going to be, you know, on location here at my home when I when I stream a podcast. We're going to do some live stream uh, streaming podcasts from the duck blind. That's a, something that we plan to do on season four. Uh, we did that last year on one of our episodes, and we had a lot of good feedback, guys, uh, from you guys that listen to the show on a regular basis. So that's pretty cool. Um, 
doing a live podcast from the duck blind seemed to be something that you guys liked a lot. And, uh, and we're going to do that again this year because uh, we had a lot of fun with it last year. So um, if you guys hear a little bit of background noise this morning, I excuse it uh, because we are outside and my, my uh, home butts up to a little, a little road that passes through Gonzales here. So we do have a little bit of a, a little bit of a background noise probably from the vehicles passing by. So, uh, don't pay no attention to that. That's what you're hearing. If you are listening on uh, any of your podcast streaming platforms and you can't see it, those of you on YouTube, like I mentioned, you can see it. So, well, guys, now, like I mentioned, we are closing up till season today. Sunday is the last day. Um, we now are going to have to play the waiting game as waterfowl hunters because we will not open up until November here in Louisiana. So we got a little bit of a little bit of a, a gap to where we got we could get some of that stuff knocked out. If you're looking to maybe do some repairs on the boat or, you know, put the blind together, put brush on the blind, that type of stuff, um, you got a little bit of time. I mean, uh, you know, that little gap we have between teal season and the opener of duck season uh, gives you an opportunity to go out and do some of that stuff, those honeydews that you need to do. I know us personally, we have been, uh, been going to the camp over the last couple of weekends. Um, and we've been working on just cleaning up stuff there. Um, and you know, just getting stuff ready to be honest with you. Um, as far as us, our situation, the boat pretty much, we, we did all our maintenance on the boat over, you know, the last couple of months, we have that stuff ready to go. And, uh, we're, we're looking pretty good this year. I have to say, this is one of the first years that I've been able to kind of have all my stuff ready to go heading into the season and not have to do any last minute uh, chores like a lot of a lot of us have to do oftentimes. So I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to the season kicking up. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to have small game hunting here in Louisiana open up uh, this coming week. So that's a big thing with my family, traditional wise. Uh, we have squirrel season that's opening up here in Louisiana. Rabbit season opens up here. And uh, our plans for this week are we're going to be heading to our camp on Thursday or actually Friday morning probably. Uh, and what I do is I let my boys, uh, Jackson, that you guys are familiar with, my oldest one, and then Hudson's my seven-year-old. Um, we are going to let them miss school on Friday. Um, and we're going to head to the camp for a weekend of squirrel hunting this weekend. So, that's something, you know, that is big here in Louisiana, guys. Um, you know, I've had several of y'all from out of state say, man, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, they say, God, man, it seems like y'all squirrel hunt a lot, you know, and that's a big part of uh, what y'all do in Louisiana. And it is, it is. Whether you're in North Louisiana, the mid part of the state, or you're in South Louisiana, that is traditionally a big, a big kickoff to a lot of people's hunting season when a small game opens up. So this weekend, like I mentioned, uh, coming up, we're gonna, it's going to be the opener, um, and we're going to be headed to our camp. We're going to do some hunting with the boys um, on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that as I do every year. Um, you know, my youngest one, Hudson, he's uh, seven years old. This is going to be the first year that I actually let him miss school on Friday, and, uh, you know, I think he's really looking forward to it. He He's completely opposite of my oldest one, you know, and it's funny for those of you who have kids how that works out. It seems like you always have one that's all in if you if you're a big hunter and you know outdoorsman, um, and then it seems like sometimes you have one that maybe doesn't show the interest uh, as much as the others do. But this year the the page is kind of turned for me because Hudson, he's a uh, he's showed an interest all of a sudden in you know going hunting and going to the camp and all that type of stuff, man. Because you know, to be honest with you, it's just different than when I was coming up because we had, you know, we, we didn't, or say we had, we didn't have the uh, the opportunity for the electronics and for the gaming and all that type of stuff that the kids got now. And, you know, my youngest one, he was exposed to the games and stuff at an early age, so he's been interested in that stuff. So where Jackson, my oldest one, I, I was bringing him with me whenever he was born in the woods. Uh, at an early, early age. And he didn't get so much into the video games and stuff like that. Uh, he was with me. And that's somewhere I, sometimes I, I look and I say, I may have messed up a little bit uh, with my, my youngest one, uh, not not bringing him with me as early 
as uh, I did with Jackson. So, uh, but I'm glad to see he has an interest in it. He's uh, he's looking forward to going this weekend. He's excited. He said, Dad, I'm ready to go to the camp, which makes me proud as a dad. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So we have a big week planned. We, uh, we are uh, heading over to the camp today. We're going to do some last-minute cleanup. Uh, maybe cut a little bit of grass, do that type of stuff. And th- that way, when we show up at the end of the week uh, for opening weekend of squirrel season, we'll be ready to go and we could relax and have a good time. So we'll probably bring you guys some footage on that. Um, I know we just picked up uh, a new camera for Jackson, and hopefully we can have that set up and ready to go for this coming weekend. We're going to try to get some, uh, some content for you guys on our YouTube channel here. Um, as far as opening weekend of squirrel season goes, maybe we could get a couple of kills, show you guys where we're hunting at, and, uh, and bring you guys some footage of that. So hopefully we'll be able to bring that content to you and have that posted up, um, you know, at the end of next weekend coming up or the following week. So um, I know Jackson's looking, as, as, you know, forward to getting new content to you guys on the YouTube channel, get that up. So uh, he's really helping me out, and he's taking full reins on this to help help us uh, get you guys some content. So looking forward to it. But uh, but guys, this week, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this week's show, uh, going back to waterfowl hunting, is motion and motion decoys. And uh, and I'm not, I don't have to keep it real long as far as this goes on this week's show, guys. But I wanted to talk about that because oftentimes motion in your decoy spread is something that is overlooked. Uh, by a lot of hunters that I see, um, guys that I've hunted with as guests, guys that, um, you know, I see their spreads whenever I go out. Um, and like I mentioned, we hunt, you know, 99.9% public land. So we see a lot of people. Um, we talked about that on last week's show with Roland. We seems to, it seems that we have more and more hunters showing up at the launches every year. And we talked about why that is, in, my, in our opinion, why we're seeing more people concentrated in those certain areas. But um, I see a lot of different people, a lot of different hunters uh, out there and different decoy spreads as I hunt public land. And uh, over the years, you know, it's changed. It, it's evolved. Waterfowl hunting has evolved. Uh, and you have to be a lot smarter because the birds are a lot smarter, to be honest with you. So you have to do more than the old traditional days of just going out and throwing out a, a set of deeks uh, into the spread, um, especially here in Louisiana. And that's something that I make a point to talk about every week uh, or every time we we have a guest on the show, you know. Um, you know, Louisiana, we've talked about this. You've heard us say this numerous times that, you know, being down in the, in the bottom of the flyway, um, you know, by the time these birds and the birds make it to us, the migration makes it to us every year. Um, the birds have seen it all, you know, they really have. And you hear guys say that all the time, but it's true. Uh, I do believe that over the years of waterfowl hunting here in Louisiana, I've seen the change. Um, you know, you, the birds, especially now up the flyways with all the forming practices that are going on right now for waterfowl. Um, all the, all the hunters, there's, there's more hunters up the flyway. Now there's more agriculture up the flyway now than you used to see. Uh, and the foreman, especially the foreman practices has really educated the birds on where to go and where not to go, where they're going to receive a lot of pressure and places that they won't receive a lot of pressure. Um, so when the migration finally makes it down here to Louisiana, um, you know, those birds have seen everything. They, they, they know a lot of the places that they could go, they could feed, they could fly back to and, you know, receive uh, little pressure, little to no pressure. They could rest. Um, you know, there was a story, which is kind of something that I'm thinking about right now that I, I want to mention to you guys is that there was a story that came out a couple of years ago where they were tracking, you know, um, specific species of birds. And what they found was that there was a, uh, a pintail that was being tracked that was flying down to the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, damn near the Gulf of Mexico here in Louisiana, in Venice, Louisiana, and was uh, feeding during the day. And then what they discovered was that that pintail would leave after it had you know filled its belly and ate all, all it wanted to eat. It would fly back up north to northern Arkansas and fly back 
down the next day to Louisiana, feed, and then fly back up north again. And you think to yourself, you say, wow, I can't believe that bird was traveling that far. And when I first heard that, I was like, man, I, I can't believe that. You know, I can't believe that bird's going all the way down to damn near the Gulf of Mexico and then turning around and flying to northern Arkansas into almost Missouri. You know, but that's exactly what that specific pintail was doing. And that just goes to show you that those birds will move overnight. They'll move within a couple of days. They could they could move quite a bit up and down the flyway and they go to where the feed's at and then they'll go back to where there's not a whole lot of pressure. What they were finding was that this specific pintail was flying back to that region to rest because it was in a refuge that was not allowed to have any kind of hunting in it. So it knew exactly where it go, had to go. And, you know, waterfowl are birds of habit. They will fly that same track, you know, the following year. They'll, they may repeat some of those same exact actions uh, and, and do the same thing. And because they know that they're not going to receive that, that pressure and uh, they have a better opportunity to make it down south and then make it back up north, you know, at the end of the season. So that just blew my mind uh, when I heard that story. And there's documentation. You guys can go out there and read that story. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's what that specific bird was doing. So that just goes to show you how educated they are, guys. And my point is, is by the time they make it down to Louisiana, like I said, they are extremely educated birds. Um, so the days of, you know, going out and throwing out a set, a dozen or a half dozen of, uh, you know, plastic decoys into your spread, um, you know, oftentimes you see guys that they go out and they do that and then they're on social media and they're bitching and complaining and, and they're, they're, you know, saying, man, we didn't kill any birds and, uh, you know, couldn't get anything to decoy, you know, just, just complaining, you know how it goes. Um, but, you know, you have to look a little bit further into what you're doing as a setup and uh, and work a little bit harder. You know, we talked about forming practices. You know, oftentimes all these places that you see that are, are on TV, they're killing birds. They're going out there and they're filming TV shows and they're doing all that. You know, they're not just coincidental, you know, in, in their actions of what's going on and having the success that they're having, guys. They are forming and they're spending millions of dollars a year to, you know, form for ducks and waterfowl. So they're going out there, they're spending the money, they're doing their, their studying, they're educated on what they need to do to be able to bring waterfowl to their areas to have success during the season. And they do what they have to do to have that success. You know, um, duck commander, I was watching something yesterday, which was very interesting because, you know, over the years, a lot of us that started watching videos and stuff like that, everybody's familiar with Duck Commander, uh, Duck Dynasty, all that type of stuff, the success that they had a couple of years ago on TV. And uh, if you grew up watching old Duck Commander videos, everybody knows that those that group of guys, they would hunt up north, uh, north Louisiana here in Monroe or Phil and all the uh, families, you know, from. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys we used to talk and I used to I was like that. I used to say, man, how nice would it be to have the property that they have and uh, and go out there? Because, man, they obviously in a waterfowl area. Uh, a lot of birds go there. Well, you know, a lot lately they've been making a, a big effort to show the forming practice side of it. Um, and it's not that they're just in a good area of north Louisiana where, you know, traditionally a lot of waterfowl tend to go. But they are spending money and for and forming for waterfowl, just like all these these big time clubs and stuff that you see up and down the flyway that are having a lot of success, like Tony Vandemore over at Habitat Flats and so on and so forth. Those all these places have learned that they have to form for waterfowl because you know it has gotten tougher and tougher over the years. So they, I was really intrigued um, that they were showing on their YouTube channel. Um, some of the uh, the waterfowl, you know, forming practices that they're doing right here in North Louisiana on their property. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense because they have to do that in order to have birds. And they work year round to bring birds to their area. So it's not just a, a, one of those things. It's a, stro it's a stroke of luck. You know, they are putting in the work. They're studying what they need to do to be able to create the habitat that the waterfowl want to come to. And that's why they're successful and they're able to have the success and make the videos and all that type of stuff that they do, guys. 
Um, but, you know, going back to the old traditional decoy spreads, that's something that nowadays you don't seem to – you just don't seem to work. It has to be perfect conditions. You have to have a, a lot of birds in the area to have a, a successful hunt with, you know, just an old traditional deke spread of throwing out a couple of decoys. Um, so what I've noticed over the years, and obviously a lot of you guys do it too, but it's oftentimes overlooked is motion in your decoys, guys. So you walk into a, a uh, your favorite sporting goods store now, and, you know, it, traditionally back in the day, you used to see you'd walk into a sporting goods store and they had dozens of decoys, just plastic decoys, you know. And then when Mojo came along with the, the Mojo uh, first, you know, one of the first motion decoys, it absolutely blew up. And the reason it blew up was because they realized that ducks absolutely flocked to it. It was it was amazing. Adding that spinning wing decoy motion to a spread made a huge difference. And and for those of you who weren't lucky enough to hunt the days whenever Mojo came out with the original spinning wing decoy, it, it man, I'm telling you, they were so hot you could not even buy one because they realized it worked. Everybody, the word started getting out that it was working. Mojo started mass producing them and putting them in stores and they had been hunting them way before they were mass produced and put in stores. They were hunting them and a few key friends of theirs had versions of them that were working and it just kind of trickled and the word got out. And next thing you knew, they said, Hey, we got to mass produce these things. And it absolutely boomed at that time. So that was the first introduction to doing something a little bit different other than a jerk string or traditional deke spreads. Um, you know, a jerk string to this day still works, guys. You know, the old the old traditional jerk string, having a decoy. I remember, you know, a, a cool story. I remember growing up with my uncle, and he had a lease or he had private land. I'm sorry. He had private land that uh, we used to hunt. And we'd hunt wood ducks. And, and in good years, whenever it was real cold, we'd get some teal, we'd get some mallards, a few gadwall, a few shovelers, that type of stuff. But he hunted this, this same blind that he built until the day he died. And I got to make several hunts with him. Um, and what he did back in the day, and I remember this was my job as a kid when I'd go, when I'd go with him in his blind, is from his blind, he had a string running to his decoy spread where he left his decoys out during hunting season and he wouldn't pick them up. He'd leave them out in the spread and he had a string running from the blonde and what he had. So it would create motion. It was creating ripples. It was basically a jerk string just in a different format is what it was. And, you know, I remember pulling on that string. He would tell me, he'd say, Jacob, he'd say, pull that string, you know, whenever he'd see some ducks fly over. And I would I would pull that string and move that water, that piece of wood would move that water in the decoys. And those decoys would kind of bounce and create ripples. And I can't tell you how many times I remember those wood ducks or those other species of ducks, they'd see that. And at the time, you know, I guess they weren't, they were more used to seeing traditional spreads of just the deke sitting out there and no movement. And those birds would absolutely bite cup in and come in. And I could I remember him and my dad or whoever was hunting with us, they would pull up and shoot. And this was before I was able to really shoot a shotgun. I was kind of learning just going along in that time. So I was little, but I realized at an early age, that motion made a huge difference in the decoy spread. And, um, you know, when Mojo came out, I immediately bought one of the first Mojos, the huge ones, you know, with the big metal wings on them and all that stuff. I bought one of those for us to hunt, and uh, and we had a lot of success with that. And then over the years, you started hearing a lot of people say, oh, man, I, I pull them out because the birds are flaring. Um, you know, they don't, they don't respond to them like they did, you know, when they first came out. And that's true. They don't, they don't respond to them like they did back in those days when they first released them because it was just – it was plain stupid back in, in the day when they first came out, guys. Uh, you know, you could kill a limit of birds. If you had one of those and the other guys around you didn't, 
you were going to kill birds and, and they weren't. That's just how it was. They would go to, to that mojo. But that doesn't mean that they quit working, guys. You know, and, and there's a reason that when you walk into a sporting goods store now, which is a point I wanted to make a while ago, that you see a shelf now, you almost see more motion decoys now than you see of traditional, you know, deeks. They still sell traditional deeks, obviously, because we all buy them. But you see a vast majority of the retail space in these stores that are have, you know, are having motion decoys put onto their shelves. And every year you see more and more companies coming out. revolutionary uh, just like the original mojo did when it came out so you see stuff coming out every year from every manufacturer in the waterfowl industry um, names like higdon mojo the original one you know lucky duck um, all these different brands there's there's a million different brands out there and there's a lot of product that's dedicated in their research and development for new motion decoys that work and that they could uh, you know, term the next bit best thing, the next big thing for waterfowl hunters, and a lot of it works, and a lot, and a lot of it, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily work, depending on the quality of the product and the idea of the product. But I can tell you that adding motion to your spread will definitely increase your chances of filling a bag limit or putting some birds on the strap. Um, something that I've done over the last several years, like I said, I learned at an early age how motion made a huge difference in my, in my, you know, in a spread. So, you know, like I mentioned also, I was one of the first ones to hop on board when Mojo started selling, you know, original Mojos and that type of stuff. And it worked great. Um, but over the last several years, I've tinkered. I've constantly tinkered with new motion decoys uh, to add to my spread. And what I found over the last couple of years, guys, and I've mentioned this last season on, on a couple of episodes is that I have begun to, you know, in my spread, I almost have more motion decoys now than I have traditional deeks in my spread. And that's something that I noticed a couple of years ago. I was hunting a, a, a public land WMA here in Louisiana, and we were set up down a, a major, you know, flyway for the birds that they were they would fly in and come down this, this, this waterway. And uh, that when we got there one morning, we had a group of guys who had beat us to the spot we wanted to set up on. And I think they, the guys had got there earlier, you know, earlier than allowed. But, you know, that's part of the game. I understand that because here in Louisiana, in a wildlife management area, you're not able to enter a WMA until 4 a.m. in the morning. So when we got to this spot to try to get it, these guys were set up already. They had their decoys out, which leads me to believe that they had got there before 4 a.m. But you know what? Not my job, not my problem. That's how it is when you hunt public. Right? Many of you who hunt public, you know that. So I just said, okay, but we're going to move on down and hunt another spot. But what we did notice is that they had all motion decoys in their spread. And when I tell you all motion decoys in their spread, there wasn't any traditional deeks in their spread. They had mojo spinning wing decoys up on poles that were 10 feet in the air. They had some at five feet in the air. They had floaters that were spinning wings. They had they had dabblers that were moving water. And it really caught our attention, you know, me and my partner that were hunting together that day. And I, I looked at them and I said, man, they don't have any regular decoys. I said, everything they got is motion. And they must have had 20 to 30 motion decoys. And it, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow. I said, you know what? That's odd, man. You, you don't ever see that really. And, uh, we went ahead, we moved on down, we set up where we wanted to set up, and it was several hundred yards away from where they were. We, we had actually stopped and talked to them, and they said, we said, hey, we'd like to go down there. Uh, would that be okay with y'all? And they were like, yeah, no problem, man, that's fine. So we went down further, down that, uh, that cut that I'm talking about, and we set up. Okay, so here we are, our spread. We got a couple of motion decoys, traditional deeks set up, you know, and it was a day where we didn't have any wind. Um, it was, it was calm, calm, calm that day. So, you know, that's never a good set, a scenario in most cases as a waterfowl hunter, you're hoping for some of that wind. We didn't have any wind. And, uh, 
But anyway, we set up and we went to hunt. And boy, all of a sudden we we could hear it in bing, bang, bing, bang, bing, bang, bang. Um, and you know, yeah, you can come on in. But this is this is Hudson. Hudson wants to say hello to you guys. So we are getting ready to head to the camp later on today, huh? All right, you excited? All right, perfect, perfect. Well, good. Well, good. Okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Sorry about that. But anyway, we uh, we set up down the waterway, like I said. And man, next thing we know, you can hear you can hear the gunshots going off down the way where these guys were set up at. And uh, you know, as the day progressed, we shot a couple of birds. We had a few birds work in. But what we did have, and we noticed, was that a lot of these birds that were working us, they would start to make a pass or make a turn in our towards our spread. But they would see that motion on that main point where that that, that that those guys were set up at, and they would leave us and go to them, and those guys ended up limiting out. Now, they had a, a pretty good-sized group of guys that were hunting, so they had to stay a while to shoot, but they shot a limit. And it, the birds were just going to their spread and moving over to where they were because of that motion. Whenever they would give us maybe one look and then they would move on to them, they would cup into their spread and they were shooting well that day. The guys had a really successful hunt. <clears throat> it was at that point that I looked at my, my hunt partner and I said, okay, I said, that's something that we got to look at. I said, we have got to do something a little bit different. We are hunting public land. We hunt it 99% of the time. And that's something that I'm not going to let happen again. You know, it's one thing, guys, if you hunt and you hunt public land, it's one thing to, you know, have birds called off of you because the group next to you just calls better. You know, they might make different sounds. They may call better. And you, you're going to have birds called off of you. But that day, those guys didn't even have to call a whole lot. It was because of the spread that they had that they had that success and that hunting success that day. Um, it made me realize very quickly that they were doing something outside of the box that most of us don't do and that I needed to make an adjustment and start trying some of this stuff that I saw them do that day to see if we could have more success. And what's funny is we ended up talking to those guys at, at the uh, campground later on that day. And I started picking their brain immediately. I was like, hey, man, look, I noticed y'all y'all were using all, you know, motion decoys. Y'all didn't have any any regular decoys. And they kind of looked at each other and kind of smiled. And uh, this guy was like, yeah, man. He says, uh, we've been doing that for a while now. He says, uh, he says we don't really use a regular decoys anymore. He says, we, we invest in motion decoys. We go out there. We, we kind of give uh, the birds a different look. And we've had a lot of success over the last few years doing that. And, uh, it, man, it, it really just blew my mind because it got me thinking about what I was doing versus what I could be doing. And over the last couple of years, I started investing more and more into motion decoys. And I mix it up. I use, you know, different brands. I use different styles, whether it's spinning wing decoys, it's pulsators where they throw in up water, um, you know, flock of flickers. That's something that I tried one year when they first came out, but didn't have, a, I had success with flock of flickers. But the longevity and the durability of them did not work for us. Uh, they barely made it through a season. Uh, just issues there with water getting into them and that type of stuff. So, um, But I like them. I like the concept of them. Mojo, if you ever see this, if you could just work on the water not getting into the mechanism that operates the flock of flickers, man, you guys have a phenomenal idea there with the flock of flickers. And they work, guys. They do work. Trust me. Um, you mix that into a spread. Now, if you're using traditional decks and you don't have the means or the money to buy a lot of motion decoys because of the cost of them, um, buy a set of flock of flickers and put them in, in your traditional decoy deke spread. And it makes a huge difference in the way that spread looks, guys. You can mix them in and it looks like birds that are flapping their wings. Um, it, it adds some re realism to the spread. So that would be something that I would tell you if you're on a budget. Maybe try them because, like I said, Mojo could have improved it by now. Um, I haven't bought a set since the first year they came out, which was a couple of seasons back, because I just didn't trust it. I didn't want to spend a hundred bucks on, you know, having to throw away half of the flock of flickers or more at the end of the season because they get water in them. Um, so, but it is it is an option that's out there on the market. 
Um, and it's a good option that is, uh, you know, something for somebody that don't have a lot of money or big budget to add a little bit of motion to their decoy spread. You know, we talked about a jerk string. That's something that is really, you could do that yourself. You could build it yourself. Uh, it doesn't take much to put a couple of, uh, to go out to the, you know, uh, store and buy you a jerk string, put a couple of decoys on it, run it back to your blind. And it's very versatile, guys. That's something that I recommend. A jerk string works. The old traditional jerk string definitely 100% works. It'll create motion um, and it will bring you some extra birds to your spread that you may not have got by just having a dead spread set out in front of you on a, on a day that you have no wind. Um, it definitely works. One of my favorites that I add to the spread like every year is I like the Higdon products. Um, I like the Lucky Duck products a lot. I've, I've really become, um, you know, to where I like Lucky Duck's decoys, um, you know, and everybody has their opinion. When you start getting into brands, everybody has an opinion uh, on what's the best decoy out there. Uh, but I like Lucky Duck. I, I find that their spinning wing decoys have been really good. They, they've been durable for me. Um, and I like I, one specific one I like is the HD Splasher. What it is, it's a it's a floating decoy that sits on the water on a foam pad, and it has wings that spin. It works on a remote control. Uh, and it, but what's cool about it is it also has little little tabs on the wings that you could you know stick out off of the wing. And when it spins on that water, it throws water and creates motion, um, a little bit of splash on the water. Um, that's something that I really like to use that I've become, you know, uh, you know, uh, accustomed to using throughout the season. And, uh, I've had a lot of success with it so far. Um, it's durable. It's operated, like I said, on a remote control. And, uh, so you could cut the wings off if you need to. Um, but it's something that doesn't stick out like a mojo on a pole. Um, that's, you know, unrealistic looking, I guess you could say it looks more realistic in the spread. So that's one that I really like. Um, the Pulsator from Higdon, that's another one. That's a great decoy, guys. Um, yeah, they are expensive. They run about 130 140 bucks retail, um, but they work. And it's the bilge pump design, you know, on, on a butt of a, a duck butt, and it throws water. It, it, it looks like a dabbling duck feeding, um, you know, going down into the shallow water and free, feeding on crustaceans, you know. So it's really realistic. Um, and it works. It's work. It's a great, it's another one that I highly recommend is the uh, Higdon Pulsator. Um, and they've improved all these decoys, man, because you're seeing the technology as more motion decoys are coming out on the market. You're seeing that they are improving these decoys year to year. Uh, you know, you used to have big battery packs with a lot of them. I know the original Pulsator from Higdon had the big heavy battery that you had to carry in a pack and you would drop it under the water and it would, it would serve as an anchor. And now they've gone to lithium batteries on all the new pulsators, man. They lightweight. You plug it into a lithium battery that's rechargeable, and uh, you don't have to, you know, throw a charger on a on a on a big battery pack or nothing like that. Um, they've done that. A lot of the mojos now, they're they're all lithium batteries. You plug and you could recharge them. Uh, so all that stuff is very very uh, much improved over the original versions, and they're getting better every year. Um, but if you look at my decoy bag, my spread that I use now, guys, I have a, I have slotted decoy bags that I'm using now. And, uh, and it's pretty much all motion decoys that I got. I've invested a lot of money over the last couple of seasons into motion decoys, different types. Um, and I keep those and I travel with those motion decoys. And that's what I'm using in my spread uh, uh, most of the time now. Um, do I still use traditional decoys? I do in specific situations or areas that I hunt. Um, there are certain areas that I hunt here in Louisiana when I go down to the marsh um, that we have a lot of diving ducks, you know. So I'll, I'll use coot decoys. I'll use redheads. I'll use, you know, different different diving duck decoys, canvas back, stuff like that. And, uh, and I do use some of those. Um, but I also have motion mixed in with those decoys. Um, now when I come to the timber and we hunt, you know, more of the timber areas, I have gotten to where I'm using a lot of motion, predominantly motion decoys in the timber. And I've had some success, uh, on a lot of stale mornings where you don't hear a lot of shooting around you. We've been able to put some birds on the strap over the last couple of years, uh, because in my opinion, we had a different looking spread than a lot of people have out there. Now, my buddy, he's he's gonna say, "Man, you crazy for sharing this information with everybody, you know?" 
Uh, but guys, look, at the end of the day, it's not like we kill limits every day. We public land hunt. None of us that, are, that public land hunt are constantly killing birds every day with limits of birds. You know, we're not. We're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and tell you that's the case. You're gonna have days where my spread, I don't kill anything, <laughs> you know, and just because I think I have something figured out don't mean it's gonna be perfect all the time. Um, so you're gonna have days where you don't kill birds, trust me. Just because you add more motion don't mean you guaranteed to kill them. Um, and that's that's oftentimes the case. That's just the way it is hunting public land, especially with the decrease in numbers of waterfowl that we've been getting every year. But what I'm trying to get you guys to kind of think about is think outside the box. You know, doing something a little bit different may get you three or four birds on the strap to where a day you might have scratched, you know, and uh, and it could make a difference. And from what I've seen in the field and what we've tinkered with doing is it does make a difference. We, I will be honest, I will say this, that we don't seem to scratch, you know, you know, as as often as I guess we used to on public land, you don't have those days where you strike out quite as often uh, by doing what we've done and what I'm sharing with you guys here on this, on this episode. Um, that don't mean you're going to get a limit, like I said, every time, but you're going to put some birds on the strap a lot of times. So adding motion, thinking outside the box, that's something that you guys may want to consider um it's something that i hope what what i'm talking about here and sharing with you guys one of my one of my big secrets um that we've experienced over the years which really wasn't a secret because we've learned it from somebody else uh, you know but it's something to think about guys it's something to think about because like i said the ducks are more educated now by the time they get down i heard somebody say they made a good reference they said you know, by the time the birds get down to Louisiana, they're Harvard educated, somebody said on a podcast I listened to this past week. And that's so true. That couldn't be more true because they are experienced. They've seen it all, man. They have seen every damn decoy. They've seen every spinning wing decoy, uh, you know, every every type of situation set up that they could see by the time they make it down here to Louisiana. And I got to tell Jackson, I say all the dumb ones have been killed just about, you know, by that time. So you got to do something to to change it up. Um, and we're always looking. We're all, you know, let's just be honest. As waterfowl hunters, we're always looking to have that edge on the hunters around us to, to kind of, you know, get that edge. Uh, whether it's the boat that you, that you hunt out of, that you use, you want a bigger motor to get to the duck hole faster, it doesn't matter what it is. We're all looking for that advantage. Um, I can tell you that from my experience, the motion stuff that I've talked to you guys about today, um, is, is something that's different. It's, it's, you know, it's something that, um, has been an advantage for us over other people that we've hunted around on public land the last several years. Um, you know, now I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily go out and buy $600 or a thousand dollars worth of motion decoys for this upcoming season. But, uh, because most people, most of you listening, including myself, don't have the means to do that type of stuff. So what I've done is I've just added every year, guys. I buy some, I buy a couple every year. Uh, you can get your hunt buddies that you hunt with. If you have a group of guys that you hunt with on a regular basis, pitch in. Each guy contribute. You know, buy a couple of motion decoys. Say, hey, I'm going to go out and buy a couple of spinning wing decoys. Your buddy goes out buys a couple of Higdon Pulsators. Your other buddy goes out and buys a couple of HD Splash or Lucky Ducks. You know, just contribute. Make it work. What you do find is as you get older, um, especially, you know, at my age now, I'm 42 years old, guys. I'm an old man. I'm starting to become an old man, I feel like. Um, as you get older, you don't you don't have your hunting buddies around. Uh, the groups kind of condense down. You, it's harder to find guys to, to go hunting with you a lot of times. Um, unlike when you're younger and you're in college or, you know, you're working a job and you're young, you're not married, you could oftentimes you have a core group of guys that you can hunt with. Um, that you could get together. Hey, you call them up, man. We going tomorrow. You don't even have to call them when you're that age. A lot of times, they just know. Hey, we going hunting tomorrow. You know, so you have a core group of guys. But as you get older, those groups kind of they kind of break up. It gets a little harder to start. You know, uh, getting guys to go with you, or you work in different schedules and that type of stuff. And you you might find that you're alone. So if you're in that situation, then you gotta you gotta you know, have that expense of buying all decoys, all your decoys every year and adding more motion. If you want to add more motion to your spread, you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to uh, spend that money yourself, uh, you know, to make sure that you got decoys that you need when you are able to go hunt. But, uh, but 
it, it's a process just like everything else. It is a process. But I can guarantee you guys, if you take some of what I've talked about in this episode today, kind of incorporate some of this into what you do on a on a on a you know a yearly basis as far as what you, your setup is for waterfowl season hunting every year, it's probably going to pay dividends to you in, in a positive way. Um, it's going to help you. It can't hurt you. I promise you that. You know, you do hear the old the old argument of oh man, a lot of these ducks are accustomed to these spinning wing decoys. And they do. They do get accustomed to it because, like I said, they have seen it all just about. But you know what? Throughout the season, tinker with the spread. You know, uh, use different types of motion. You know, maybe one day use, you know, your motion decoys that are closer to the water. It looks more realistic. Other days, you know, when the birds are real responsive, we've had luck with mojos. Like I said, I saw that that, that spread several years ago. The guy had a motion – or mo, I can't say a guy, sorry. Had a mojo motion decoy on a 10 foot pole up in the air. Hell, that's something that I'm doing now, you know, and just give them different looks, make it look as realistic as possible, you know, and, uh, and you're going to have a lot more success when you do that, but, um, it works. It does work guys. So I hope that this, uh, information that I shared with you today is definitely going to help you guys out in the field because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, man. We need to keep bringing people to our sport. We need to keep the, uh, the, the numbers growing in the right direction with all the crazy government stuff we got going on nowadays. It's insane, man. I mean, they're taking away stuff left and right, and we definitely don't need that happening to outdoorsmen. You know, going on that, you know, I heard there was a story yesterday that I, just to share this story with you guys. Um, there's some big names out in, in, in the world of YouTube as far as outdoor companies go. And I'm not going to mention specific names, but one of the creators – of uh, one of the big companies that's out on YouTube, out on social media, um, names that you guys probably follow, you know, that are out there in the, in the market today. They are outdoorsmen just like we are. And this specific gentleman did a, did a video yesterday on YouTube and had to do it under a new channel because they were um, basically shut down um, on, you know, a couple of the social media platforms because of what they show their content being outdoors, you know, killing, you know, killing ducks, killing animals, killing deer, all that type of stuff. And, uh, and in this particular person's situation, this is what they do for a living. They, they, they work full time as a YouTube creator, bringing outdoor content to, to all of us who follow, you know, social media, outdoor social media. And Uh, shut down for 30 days for monetization, which is, you know, basically for those of you don't, who don't know what that means from creating income off of their videos that they, they put up on their channel. And, you know, somebody sitting behind a computer in, you know, wherever at California or wherever it is, uh, just decided to pull the plug on them and said, Hey, for 30 days, you're, you're basically going to be punished or suspended and you will not be able to make money. Uh, you know, on your, on your videos. And, you know, when you're looking at a situation like that, we're not talking a hundred dollars or a couple of hundred dollars. We're talking quite a bit of income. This particular gentleman said six figure income, um, that he's pulling in, you know, every year from YouTube content that he shares and makes his living off of. And that was just pulled from him without any rhyme or reason to it guys. So, you know, unfortunately we're in that day and age right now where that's the, the type of stuff that we're having to deal with. Um, we're having to, you know, people are trying to take away as many of the rights as you got away. And uh, we just, you know, just to keep it simple, as outdoorsmen, we got to stick together. So, you know, sharing content, if it's to help other guys out um, and have success and bring people to the sport, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for it. Um, and that's something that I think that we can all benefit from um, and keep keep the traditions alive, keep the uh, sporting alive. And, uh, and, you know, just keeping it moving in a positive direction to where, um, you know, we don't have all this stuff where our rights start to get taken away. So that's just my little tidbit, my story on, on something that I heard uh, this week that I thought I'd share with you guys as well as we were talking about it. I think it's something that we all need to be aware of 
that just don't be naive to the, to what's going around out there around you guys. But uh, but yeah, guys, that's pretty much all I have this week for you. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, man, I tell you what, I I really can't do it without the support of all of you who follow the YouTube channel, who listen to the podcast. Um, without you guys, this wouldn't be possible. You have shown so much great support for us. We really appreciate it. We love bringing new content to you guys. And we have a lot of great companies. <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't mention all the sponsors and all the companies that we work with and we support and that support us. But, guys, I, I work with some of the best companies out there um, that are here locally in Louisiana, not necessarily big names, you know, nationwide, but a lot of great companies. Uh, you know, just to mention a couple, Beaver Creek Game Calls, uh, my buddy Patrick Erkfitz over at Beaver Creek Game Calls. You guys go check him out, man. He offers some phenomenal duck calls. He also does deer calls, turkey calls. If you're into outdoors and you hunt all of it, then you need to check them out. Go check out Beaver Creek Game Calls on social media or at beavercreekgamecalls.com. Um, he's one of the great guys that we work with and that helps support our show. Uh, my buddy Romeo Mamalo, guys, and everybody laughs when I say Romeo's name. Romeo Mamalo over at Wrap It Up Cajun Customs, man. If you're looking to upgrade the look of a shotgun, a rifle, a handgun, any of that stuff, and you want to get it protected, uh, Romeo does amazing wraps, vinyl wraps that he could do in your favorite camo patterns. Uh, he could do pretty much anything you have. It don't even have to be a firearm, but he's done some firearms for me over the last two years, and I can tell you they have held up great. They're a fraction of the price of what hydro dipping cost, uh, and it looks just as good. So go check him out on social media, on Facebook, and wrap it up, Cajun Customs. Uh, my buddy Blake, I couldn't go without mentioning my buddy Blake Benoit over at Benoit Performance Baits. Uh, you guys know we do some fishing videos in the summer, and Blake supports our channel here. He's a, he's a huge outdoorsman. Go check him out, Blake Benoit over at Benoit Performance Baits. If you love sackle fishing, bass fishing, uh, for all my fishing viewers, go check out Blake. He has some great products. He'll custom make you pretty much any color you need, any style that you want, Blake could do it over at Benoit Custom Baits. So go check him out as well, guys. And many others. We, we have several others. I don't want to waste, you know, 30 minutes of, of, you know, rolling off sponsors and people because uh, I know I hate that when I listen to it sometimes. But, yeah, guys, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that support the show that I just want to give a shout-out to and say how appreciative I am of it. But, uh, but without you guys ultimately watching the YouTube channel and, uh, you know, following the podcast, it wouldn't be possible. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And until next time, guys, this is Jacob signing off. But we'll see you guys soon. We'll be talking outdoors again next week, guys. Y'all take care, okay? Have a good one.